This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Previously on Smoked. We stripped the car and built it from the ground up. Won my very first race I ever entered, and that got me the racing bug. He was just considered a really, really good young driver, somebody who kind of came out of nowhere, but he was just fast. I think we got a car, an engine, and some spares. <laughs> And there we were, that was Blue Thunder Racing. Randy, let me get you first. Kind of tense at the end, huh? Oh, most didn't... exciting race for a six-hour race I've ever seen. People like the Whittington brothers and Randy were getting a lot of notoriety. And there was some talk about where their money came from, but nothing that you could pin down and, and write a story about and say, this is happening. To get there in the early 80s, First, you took a plane to Northeast Columbia. Then you took a Jeep. Then you'd hike for a while in a coastal mountain range that's among the highest in the world, swatting mosquitoes and passing the men with guns guarding the jungle. South American jungles are legendarily pretty, so I imagine that, minus the guys with the guns. It's, it's a, lot a, of, a lot of steep climbing. Randy Lanier remembers it could take an entire day. So the way their security is, the Colombian forces back in the 70s, making sure that their fields stayed safe. So it's amazing, amazing things. But when you finally got where you were going, you'd see what you came for. A mountainside of Santa Marta gold, one of the most sought-after strains of pot on the American black market. My first time I went down there, I just went to visit to see exactly what kind of merchandise I was getting. So you like already had a deal with somebody and they said, you can come look? Something like that, yes. Um, 
I wanted to make sure that what I was getting was, was good. It was still up in the mountains, fresh. Did you test it out while you were there to make sure? Yes, I did. Back in the States, Randy had been building a racing career that would soon include the IMSA title, the International Motorsports Association, with a team he financed from his own wallet. And a guy who is maturing today as a driver is Randy Lanier. I mean, he owns the car. He can drive it if he wants to. But there in the Colombian jungle, he was competing in a different kind of contest to build a drug smuggling network so big it could bring loads others could only dream of. Santa Marta Gold was captivating to the eye because it was yellowish and had little nice reddish color resin in it. The high that you got from it was pleasant. It wasn't overbearing. So that along with the way it smelt and the freshness of it, the Santa Marta Gold was very um, appealing. As quickly as he was making a name for himself on the track, off the track, Randy was carving a spot in the pantheon of American drug smugglers. That trip to the jungle was not Randy's last. And over the next few years, an organization the U.S. government came to call simply The Company channeled the flow of pot from Colombia to the States. So we would take valleys and mountainsides. When you're talking 50 to 80 tons, we would take the whole mountainsides, yes. It moved so much weed and generated so much money, Randy could afford to live in luxury. You just point to a mountain and say, I'll take that. (laughs) Not quite like that, but something. As long as no one found out. From the Miami Herald and McClatchy Studios, this is Smoked. I'm Amy Driscoll. I'm Alex Harris. And this is part two. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board This is Uncanny USA He says somebody's in the house and I screamed Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come
Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Now, let's back up a bit. Before there was Blue Thunder. Before that old Porsche. Now, when I first bought it, it was wired with lamp wire. So that's what she was talking about. And long before Brandy. A 1980s-style red leather almost looks like Michael Jackson from the Bad video. And it's the Rookie of the Year 1986 Indy 500 jacket with my dad's name embroidered on it. When it was just Randy and South Florida and the late 1960s. Once you start some things, you just can't stop. And drugs are like that, too. For a 13-year-old transplant from rural Virginia... It must have seemed like the place described in government PSAs. It may not hurt, but then again it may. Drugs are like that too, you know. Major difference, absolutely. This is Randy. I was a country boy running around in the woods. My grandfather was a tobacco farmer. They raised hogs and I chopped wood. I had a lovely, great childhood. So coming down here to see the beaches, the surfers, the, the smoking of the weed, yeah, it was a big difference, a totally different climate um, of attitude. We were love children, let me explain to you. We were, we were flower kids. We were typical 72 hippie flower kids out of high school. Charles Podesta became friends with Randy as a teenager after Randy's family moved to South Florida. We met up with Charles at a coffee shop in Miami. Smoked the weed, enjoyed the weed. It was organic. It just kind of grew. It didn't take long for Randy to adopt the local lifestyle. He grew a ponytail and became a staple at Miami's famous love-ins at Grenolds Park, where hippies protested the Vietnam War and up-and-coming bands played free live shows, including, as an Associated Press story from the time described it, a, quote, six-man combo from San Francisco called the Grateful Dead. I started smoking pot when I was 14 years old, 1968. So I thought I was a holdout for a while back in them days. Did your parents have any opinions about you smoking pot at 14? Yes, of course they did. Um, The times were different back then. I was different. Teenager with long, long hair and not so much anti-establishment, but kind of a hippie type of guy. So, yes, they had a negative viewpoint, but they came around eventually. They see that it was harmless, maybe playing music too loud. <laughs> that might be one of the things, especially a young teenager, and eating all the cookies. Randy may have been a hippie, but he was also a capitalist. In high school, he earned a few bucks by working with his father on construction sites west of Fort Lauderdale. All that was sand in the 60s, and a lot of melaleuca trees and just cow pastures. So they dredged all the, the lakes out there and made housing developments. And he went out there with a hammer with his dad, Junior. Here's Charles again. 
And he worked hard. Let me tell you, he worked really hard. He, he was a conscientious worker and a good worker, and he worked hard. And it wasn't until some years after that, you know, he realized that, well, you know, maybe there's another way to make buck. <laughs> or two. Randy told us his journey from smoking pot to selling it started on those sandy construction lots, baking in the South Florida sun. Fifteen years old, had a summer job, and the construction workers would continue to ask me because I had long hair if I could get at them some marijuana. And of course I could, so I seen that it was a little bit more beneficial than $1.65 an hour. Before long, joints became ounces, and it just grew from there. When you see profits and coming about like that, it seems like it's a little bit easier to me than digging ditches in a field. Randy dropped out of high school, and his drug profits soon paid for a 27-foot speedboat. It could get from Miami to the Bahamas in no time. And that gave Randy another idea. I started bringing loads in about 19 years old from the Bahamas. And it just came about through seeing the niche market that it was available. I had access to it, and it just continued to grow from selling to distributing to a drug smuggler. One car into the pit, car number 57 is Randy Lanier. Randy was a young man, barely out of his teens, and still a few years from making a name on the racing scene. But in his other career, he was already an expert. Earlier in the 60s, it was mostly Jamaican and Mexican weed. And then the Colombians got involved, and in the late 60s, started bringing in large ships and planes to the Bahamas and South Florida. At 22, I was a seasoned smuggler already. A seasoned smuggler in a crowded field. Attorney General Jim Smith, is drug smuggling the number one industry in Florida? Drug smuggling is probably the number one industry in our country. Here's Jim Smith. Florida's attorney general at the time on C-SPAN. Estimates are that it may be a 50 to 60 billion dollar a year business. Florida still is the entry point for much of the marijuana and certainly most of the cocaine that comes into the United States. Much of the financing of drug smuggling operations uh, takes place in Florida. It was wild, wild west. Yes, very active. Lots of large-scale smugglers, which is I became on a, a, a large scale. A lot of independent smugglers involved with doing what they were doing. A lot of cartel people. Uh, it was huge. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. Randy knew what he was up against. And in 1971, President Richard Nixon's war on drugs targeted both those who produced drugs and those who consumed them. This will be a worldwide offensive dealing with the problems of sources of supply as well as Americans who may be stationed abroad wherever they are in the world. And it will be nationwide in terms of a new educational program. The U.S. government cut the supply from Mexico and the Caribbean, but the demand only increased. By 1979, nearly 70% of young adults in the U.S. had at least tried marijuana, and smugglers watched as Colombia seized the market. I wanted the best product, which was grown in Santa Marta. That's where they grew the gold pot. This is Robert Platshorn, or as the feds knew him, Bobby Tuna. Today's 105-page federal indictment charges that Robert Platshorn and Robert Meinster set up a local business here as a front to disguise the true nature of all the money they were making. In the 70s, he was something of a pioneer in moving Colombian weed into South Florida. We talked to him on a drive through his Palm Beach County neighborhood. 
It wasn't grown in huge quantities because Santa Marta's too built up and the mountains surrounding the town is where the farms were. And I paid good for it. I came over, I inspected the loads. We talked about how it would be packaged and, and baled up and how many pounds each bale should be. They even had burlap bags made up that said product of Columbia or product of Santa Marta, Santa Marta Gold. Those named include pilots charged with racketeering and conspiracy to smuggle narcotics. Platshorn's favorite method of smuggling was by plane from remote jungle airstrips. When they tell you how to find the airstrip, they tell you fly over the town, over the church steeple, and two minutes later, you're over this huge plantation and you can see They've cleared something about 300 feet wide and 1,000 feet long, just grass, and there's cows. they got to chase the cows off. The little kid comes out on a donkey, and he chases all the cows so that you can land. Kind of a safety thing because it keeps the police or the Air Force from landing while the cows are out there. But safety is a relative concept for drug smugglers. And sometimes the men with guns found their way to the airstrips anyway. And the Colombian army melted out of the jungle on both sides with their rifles and guns drawn. And the first thing you hear is, tranquilo hombres, tranquilo hombres. Then you realize you're surrounded. They took us to a farmhouse. They wanted a $6 million bribe. And finally, my people showed up with two bags of cash. It came to about $40,000, not $6 million. But the soldiers, they saw those two bags of money, and they turned around and pointed their guns at the lieutenant and said, no, we take this. He's a good guy. We know this guy. Whatever. He lets you get back on your plane? Yep. In retrospect, it was part of the fun. But, of course, it was scary as hell at the time. Instead of being dead in a ditch somewhere, you went home a very, very rich man. Went home and made a bunch of money. By the early 80s, roughly 70% of the nation's illegal drugs came in through South Florida. And much of the pot came from Colombia. Good evening, I'm Ralph Rennick. South Florida has the dubious honor of being the cocaine and marijuana capital of the United States. Florida's starring role in the drug trade came naturally. The Sunshine State was practically made for smuggling, with more than 1,000 miles of coastline. And once you account for rivers and bays and other spots to drop off shipments, you're looking at more than 8,000 miles of shoreline. More coke and pot were seized here last year than anywhere else in the country. But authorities say that's only a smidgen of what's getting through. It was so common for tourists to find bales of pot washed up on beaches that people started calling the bundles square groupers. A lot of the smugglers down here before, you know, they used to run boats along the, along the shore here. Charles Podesta again. There'd be the square groupers in the water, or the planes would come in and they'd be kicking them out and they wouldn't watch where they're landing and they'd come through people's homes and mobile homes. I mean, you know, I mean, come on, we lived in wild times down here, people. I mean, you know, square grouper wasn't a fish. <laughs> Randy's racing career had taken him to Le Mans in 1982, an event that had helped cement his bold ambitions in the sport. And soon his other career would take him on that transformative trip to the jungle that would show him a mountain of possibilities. Bobby Tuna might have smuggled pot by air, but Randy preferred a different mode of transportation, one that kept pace with his increasingly audacious goals. I was a boat guy. 
Yeah, I made several trips to South America of my own vessels. And how big were those boats? The first one was a 65-footer. That trawler yacht, named the Ursa Major, was 20 feet wide and displaced over 100 tons. It wasn't that I was good. It was just the times. We didn't have homeland security, first of all. If you lived in South Florida, you had the Coast Guard and you had the Florida Marine Patrol. But they were so understaffed that it was easy to get all their frequencies for our little radios and scanners. So just a little bit of research and you could see where the, the gaps are missing and you just come right in the gaps. The Ursa Major belonged to Ben Kramer, one of Randy's high school friends who owned that boat business we mentioned last time, Apache. And Charles, who had also started out as a friend, had become a trusted insider as Randy's organization got bigger. The very first two loads were offshore off Melbourne and uh, pulled up right outside the shore and ran little Zodiacs back and forth to the beach and then had a bunch of people down on the beach and they grabbed the things and dragged them up to a house that we had rented. The U.S. government later estimated that first load was 15,000 pounds, an amount that required some real planning to unload undetected. And then the neighbors next door, we went ahead and they won a a trip to Disney World. Amazing, wasn't it? (laughs) Because it was the only house next door to this house. So we arranged for a lovely surprise for them to win a beautiful trip, all paid expenses to Disney World. (laughs) And it was just during that time period, it was amazing, amazing coincidences come to play. (laughs) And with the Colombian trade route established, business was about to get good. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. It might be helpful to understand everyone's roles here. Randy put up the cash for the first Colombian load. From then on, he was the logistics guy. Yes, I made sure it got from the boat to some distribution destinations. And then from there, other people would be in charge. My hands was done after it left the port. Think of Ben Kramer as the supply guy. He was the one with the contacts on the ground in Colombia. He was a friend and a partner, both, yeah. We grew up together, kind of. We didn't get a chance to interview Kramer. He's in prison in Illinois. The warden wouldn't let us speak to him and said allowing the interview could, quote, jeopardize safety and security. But he did send us a letter. He said some things need, quote, some light on them. We'll tell you more about that letter later on. Charles Podesta was the money guy. Yeah, uh, I don't know why I became the bookkeeper. And I really wasn't the bookkeeper, trust me, because the guy that was good at math was Randy. Let me tell you, that guy was brilliant. But he did bring something important to the group. Charles looked like a businessman. Randy did not. He had a long ponytail and all of his friends were hippie looking. And because I was in business, I dressed in a suit and tie. So there came a time when he needed to rent a house, stash house. And of course, what better than a very sophisticated looking guy in a suit and tie to go do that. And so that's how our business intersection happened. Later that year, Randy's smuggling team brought in a second load from Colombia, bigger than the first, and worth about $6 million. Much like with his racing career, Randy's goals for his illegal operations were always on the rise. Faster cars, bigger loads, more money. As anything goes, the more you do something, you evolve the process, and you see better ways to accomplish your goals and what you're trying to achieve from buying a a pleasure boat, 27-foot Magnum, taking that to the Bahamas, and then that became a 65-footer to an 80-footer to a 300-foot barge. It just evolves. That's right, a barge. A flat-bottom ship the length of a football field, with plenty of room for pot. Forget stash houses. With the barge, Randy's outfit needed warehouses to store the pot. And court records say he had them all over the country, as far away as Warsaw, Kentucky, and Allentown, Pennsylvania. The center of the barge is already laid out, hollowed for Manifest, which was our cargo. And that's where our cargo was, from Venezuelan cement to Brazilian wood, Brazilian nuts. The loads were getting enormous, at times topping 100,000 pounds. And the method they chose to smuggle the pot into the country was ingenious tucked into secret compartments in the barge. So they have ballast tanks down the side, six stories high, 20 feet wide. The weed was in the ballast. They also needed larger ports for the barge, and they found them in New York, New Orleans, and San Francisco. I put all the weed from the ballast into a containerized trailer, had a crane pick it up, lift it up on my flatbed trailer, 
take the trailer to my warehouse and have forklifts unlift the trailer and boom it over to the back of a tractor and trailer and haul it off. So here's your, here's your barge. Here's Charles again, okay. sketching on a paper placemat at the cafe. He draws three vertical lines through the barge, showing where customs agents would reach into the ballast tanks with poles to see if they hit anything funny. So what these guys had brilliantly done is they did off chambers. Then they put planks. So they had these off chambers outside of these holes. So when they put the pole down, you wouldn't see the chamber. So they had chambers all around the barge. And they were taking the, the weed and putting in the chambers and sealing the chambers. And how much would that hold? 100,000. <laughs> 100,000 pounds? Yeah, 100,000 pounds, give or take, you know, a few ounces. <laughs> For quality control. Quality control, of course. <laughs> Today, it's fast action from the streets of Miami, Florida, featuring GTP racing cars, fast and exotic. By the time Randy raced at the 1984 Miami Grand Prix, his organization had hundreds of people involved. There were some probably people in the organization that called it the company. They asked me if I did it, no. But there were some people that worked for me that would call it the company. No matter what they called it, they were prolific. No, not that I'm trying to swell my head, but on the size of it, there was no other smugglers bringing in the amount that we were at one time. Which was? 165,000 pounds at a time. How much money would that earn you? A lot. Whole lot. <laughs> the Colombians really didn't get their act together until they saw the Americans, until we went down there. So I'd go down there a week or two before to let them know, yeah, we're really serious, yeah, we're, we're, the barge is coming, you get your people ready. Yeah. On the Colombian side, Charles said, it was also a huge operation. So here's how, here's how that goes down. First you get clearance by the Colombians to be able to park into a little cove, okay? And the cove, there's mountains, there's hills next door to you. And you have a window. You've got from when it gets dark till when it gets light. After that, you have no more protection. So all of a sudden, you see these trucks, dump trucks, driving down the mountains, a lot of them. And you see all these men. So now on the barge, you've got like 30, 40 people up on the barge, and they're pulling the bales up one at a time. And then they had to go down into the hole, down to the secret compartments that were inside, and then the compartments had to be sealed. It took hundreds of people. They were hand handing each bale. But I also want you to know that we were in quality control, okay? We insisted that if we're gonna take this risk, we're not bringing crap up to the United States. We want good weed. And so they always, they always delivered really good weed. That weed bought Randy and his wife and daughter the fast life he'd seen at Lamont. I lived in a super fast life. I bypassed the fast life. I went into super mode with Learjets and the Concords and have a private plane wait for me at Heathrow. So as soon as I can get there, I just get off the plane and go right to my private plane. From England to Italy to France to Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Switzerland, with a tourist traveling through Europe, <laughs> hitting the wine countries and um, enjoying the good food and customs. By then, he'd gotten married to his high school sweetheart, Pam. I met her when she was uh, about 15. I think I was 17. Yeah, so she went to Hollywood Hills High School, and I met her there in Hollywood at rock concerts and so forth. They tied the knot when he was 21. Valentine's Day, 1976. I'm a romantic, somewhat. Charles attended the wedding and ended up behind the wheel of the limo. I went ahead and he wanted a limousine, but at that time it was a little difficult to get one without a driver. 
because, uh, you know, they wanted to puff a little bit. And, uh, and so through another friend, I got a car out of Palm Beach and I said, okay, I'll drive it, don't worry. And they let me. I was their chauffeur-driven car out of a little flower in Hollywood, the Catholic Church. A few years later, at Charles's wedding, Randy was his best man. I actually, you know, I was going through some pictures and I probably have a lot more, but I saw one that was done on the wedding day. And I'm in my white John Travolta suit, red shirt, and they're, and they're in their clothes, and, and I just looked at it. And, of course, Randy had a big mustache and long hair, you know, pump tied in a ponytail. But we had so many wonderful experiences and times together, you know, and little parties, you know, that we'd attend and such. Eventually, Randy took some of his drug money and bought a spacious new home north of Miami, where he and Pam raised their daughter, Brandy. But I don't know the exact acreage. Now as an adult, I'd maybe guess something between five and six acres. This is Brandy Lanier. Very 70s at the time when we lived there. Half mirror and half wood walls and the back porch area was done like a sunken ship, which was pretty neat. It was on a canal. We had a gazebo. I used to fish off of that. And for a while we kept one of our horses in the barn and then for a while it was just uh, bunnies. Yeah. As quick as the money flowed in, it flowed out. (laughs) When I was five, my parents threw a safari-themed birthday party, and it included Jessica the elephant, who came from Miami Zoo, and we had elephant rides in the backyard. And then it was pretty neat, because after that, if you went to Miami Zoo, Jessica was one of the elephants that was there, so we got to go back and visit her after. I spent my money on planes and jets and boats and yachts and parties in uh, Europe and houses, shopping centers, race car tracks, mobile home parks, restaurants. So restaurants, I mean, buying a restaurant and all that. Randy was spending and laundering a lot of cash. He bought another home in the foothills of the Colorado Rockies. And he and his partners helped finance the Bell Gardens Bicycle Club a massive poker card room just outside Los Angeles. And of course, Randy spent his money on racing. I had no budget. didn't matter. As much as Porsche wanted to spend, I could spend. With racing, the top flight teams are the big budget teams. They can rent tracks, do testing, research and development. It's not just talent and skill. You've got to have the wherewithal to get out there, do the research that's needed to get the cars uh, around the track at the fastest laps possible. Uh, I mean, I heard a few things, but I didn't... Keith Layton was Blue Thunder's crew chief. He remembers how the money made a lot of things possible for the team, even if he didn't want to think about it at the time. I knew there was stuff there, but I didn't really want to delve into it. I mean, a lot of the bills were paid with cash. So the salary for all the crew, I would be given... Ten, twenty thousand dollars to go and pay everybody, which you know the truck driver would go off to a racetrack and they'd give him a big envelope full of money. Whereas most teams, it's always you give them checks or you you don't pay the guys for two weeks. <laughs> the money comes at the end of the month from the sponsor, sort of thing. You know, guys were paid well because we win, we gave everybody a bonus, and that makes a big difference because the morale and everybody's got the same goal. Oh, if we win, I can get more money. And so that was directly because of the money that was available from what was going on behind the scenes. Randy was juggling a young family, a secret career, and an increasingly public one. It was like I was living like a couple of lives. Family life, racing life, smuggling life, 
<laughs> and sometimes they collided. He missed the second race Blue Thunder entered, the one his teammate Don Whittington won. Randy was busy. I was Atlanta. I missed Atlanta Grand Prix. And where were you instead? I was in Northern California bringing a load in. And how big was the load? Was it worth missing the race for? 135,000 pounds. How much was that worth? 44 million bucks. It was quite the year for Randy Lanier. We're moments away from the start here at Riverside as Randy Lanier and Bobby Rahal lead the field. That particular load, I ran down and won the LA Grand Prix within days of getting it all in. Kind of tense at the end, huh? Oh, the most exciting race for a six-hour race I've ever seen. Flew back to Fort Lauderdale and bought a yacht. So when I was looking at boats, I was thinking, man, things are going pretty good. (laughs) So, yeah, you feel like you're on the top of the world. But his super-fast life was about to catch up to him. How big of a boat did you buy? That one was a 60-footer, 60-foot sport fisherman. That was just for fishing. What's the name? That name was called Real, R-E-E-L, Nice. Is that the one you got caught on? That was the one that I ended up getting caught on. I'm Amy Driscoll. I'm Alex Harris. This podcast is produced by Kara Tabor and Davin Coburn in McClatchy Studios, and the Herald's Emily Michaud and Matthias Ochner. And thanks to Christine DiMattei at WLRN Studios. For lots more on this story, including a wild tale of Florida's other pot smugglers, go to MiamiHerald.com slash smoked. To continue supporting this kind of work, consider a digital subscription to the Miami Herald. Visit MiamiHerald.com slash subscribe for more information. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. On part three of Smoked, Indianapolis and the Feds come calling. Indy, there was two guys always there. And that was the FBI, keeping watch on what they were doing. This was the candy store. I mean, you want to see dope, Mr. Vice President? You want to see guns? We got plenty of them for you. (laughs) I will fire only as long as it takes to bring your vessel to stop. One of my street car was a BB-512 Ferrari. What color? That one was a raspberry color, one of only five. So you were really low profile. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. 
As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.